0: Ah, there he is, Ensign Joe. Man, been a while since i seen you. Mess Hall's bumping Well, no, actually, Mess Hall's not bumping it. Where's everybody at, man? It was crammed in here yesterday. Yeah, well, I mean, food's been a lot better, and can't blame people for not necessarily
1: returning to the, the fucking replicators when we actually got Primo Chow. It's actually been kind of nice around here the last couple weeks. Uh, I was uh, reprogramming the lateral sensor array for Lieutenant Tuvix. He had some ideas uh, I guess, I don't know what happened, but he uh, he stood me up for our meeting yesterday. Just wasn't around, couldn't reach him on the comm
0: badge. You didn't hear? Hear what? Uh, The same reason why the mess hall's a ghost town and this food is crap again. Fucking Neelix is back in the kitchen, man. They split They split Tubix back into Tuvok and Neelix, man, like four months later. You didn't hear about any of this? Whoa, 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 whoa. wait a second, he was like a person... He was cool as shit, dude. He was in uh he was in our uh, poker game. Yeah, he had a personality. It was actually really nice. You know Ted over in Security? Yeah, of course. Well, he told me that he got called up to the bridge. Janeway called him in and they dragged Tuvix off to the gas chamber, basically. Like, Tuvix was all like, no, I wanna live, I wanna live, and like <laughs> they just dragged him right down to Medbay and uh and poisoned him. Well wait, wait,
1: wait a second. He didn't volunteer? They just fucking murdered the guy. How did you not hear about this, oh, dude? I've been reprogramming that sensor array, but in the middle of the Jeffrey Stoops. Well, well the, I mean,
0: obviously, what Commander Cho Chakotay had something to say about that. Some people are talking the way that a uh, bridge crew was acting on this thing. Like everybody was all on board with just sending this guy uh, up the river. I, I, th- I think I think the bridge crew might have been uh, replaced by alien body doubles again. Oh, because Jesus fucking Christ, this.
1: I have served on so many goddamn starships. I actually did a bit on the Enterprise. I, I can't fucking tell you the difference that I see. These guys are fucking psycho. I don't know if it's all these Maquis rolling around and gotten everyone's heads or it's the billion fucking space hazards we've run into, but everyone is turned into a stone faced, stone cold killer one second and the next second it's like they're schizophrenic. Suddenly they're throwing themselves in that fucking space juggalo prison thing. My God in heaven. I had to try and deprogram that shit. Gave me nightmares.
0: Yeah, well, Tuvix is a pretty good guy. Uh, I miss him, and I certainly did not miss whatever the hell this is that Neelix is trying to pass off as scrambled eggs. So.
1: Uh, oh God, does it have hair in it again? And this time, is it is it on accident or on purpose?
0: No, Manny's still trying to pass him off as "quote unquote" noodles.
1: Welcome to Feature Please, a hateful voyage to the Delta Quadrant, and particularly hateful because Peter gave me his cold via the internet. My name is Joseph. I am
0: Peter. Dude, yeah, this is just as miserable as you were saying it was. Bullshit, mine was worse. I guarantee you. Until you get that sinus infection going on top of it, you're uh, you're in candyland. <laughs> well, regardless if I'm in candyland or not, I'm. Gonna make this this podcast happen with you, sir. It is an exciting time to be a Star Trek fan right now. There is a lot of stuff going on, and some of it's good, some of it's maybe not so good. I know you're not the Discovery fan, but CBS has finally opened its wallet and started shaking money out on the old Star Trek property. And it seems to be going the right way for them. In addition to Discovery and whatever other uh, Abrams movies may or may not happen. There's been some, um, one-off discovery style, uh, stories they've been telling through their CBS all access thing. And we've got the Picard show coming back and what's really got me excited. And we talked about it, uh, pretty extensively on the feature police trauma support group, but, uh, one of the writers off Rick and Morty, has been given a show through CBS that is going to be called Lower Decks, which is a playoff off of uh, the classic TNG episode where it's, you know, the no-name scrubs rolling around in the bottom parts of the ship. Uh, and I believe that this is going to be a no-name vessel that is very unimportant to Starfleet and the Bonehead's working on that. And I think it's really cool that CBS is willing to let the property make fun of itself, officially sanctioned. Not only
1: that, but this guy that they got to do it runs one of the most entertaining Twitters there is, uh, which is TNG season eight filled with filled with, uh, you know, tweet sized episode pitches for TNG season eight that are everything that you can imagine a Rick and Morty uh, writer to to come up with. And uh, if this is the, the, the place this guy's coming from, an obvious love of Trek That this guy is coming from. I'm interested. I want to see this shit.
0: I have never really gotten a lot of value out of Twitter before. It's been one of those social platforms. I just can't really. I don't know. Maybe I don't use it the right way. But this guy, it's at TNG underscore S8. I have never. It's probably the hardest I've laughed in the last six months at anything. And just going through reading tweet after tweet, just falling apart, laughing out loud in uh, fast food lines and, and wherever I was at the moment, man, go out there, read this guy's stuff. And it's funny because it's absurd, but at the same time, if you know, Trek, it, it all could just almost work. So I, I got some real high hopes for what we're going to see out of this thing. And speaking of high quality content, it's not just Twitter that
1: you can turn to, to connect to it. It's Facebook specifically the Vida please trauma support group, because we uh we've been keeping some some fresh memes rolling uh courtesy of the the support group's uh, uh, uh meme star in chief uh, Darius who uh, loves to make himself some comics uh, in in celebration of each of our episodes.
0: Yeah, the one with uh, a glimpse into Tuvok's Neelix choke fantasy.
1: Uh, it, your Neelix Tuvok choke fantasy, if memory
0: serves i you know i just i see what's on the paper and I read it man it's there it's happening it's the truth and, I, and I, i'm not not afraid to say it but uh yeah his comics have been hitting hard um that TNG season eight it, a, lot, a lot of good trek laughs to be had so be sure to uh join
1: us on video please trauma support if you want a want a piece of the action uh appreciate all the new fresh uh likes and looks at the podcast lately as always whoever's been sharing we appreciate it we love bringing new people in keeps us uh, keeps us energized keeps us wanting to keep rolling these out which is particularly important because the episode we just watched was a giant 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 pile of shit
0: <laughs> uh, what what was it peter you would of course be referring to season 2 episode 25 resolutions i want to read you something joe oh go okay, please this is a quote from the official Star Trek Voyager magazine, issue 10. Oh, Jesus. Jerry Taylor cited this episode as one of the best from Voyager's first two seasons.
1: That's me hitting my
0: head into my fucking microphone. That's what that sound was. So I take it you didn't feel this episode uh, in the cockles no. of your heart.
1: <laughs> no! 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 Oh my fucking god! Did you did you ever watch SNL? Yeah. Okay. Uh, do you remember Stefan? Yeah. All right. This episode had everything. It had a charmless turnbucket romance, quote unquote. It had a stupid fucking monkey. It had pointless traps that our heroes walk into, even though they know that they're traps. You've I mean you've got Ensign Kim whining. I mean, just. <laughs> garbage 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 everywhere this sucked so bad oh i i mean i i can't i can't wait i can't wait to unpack
0: everything i hated about this I can't. i'm giddy with with anticipation well i'm gonna have to disappoint you what uh i think that f- maybe 40 percent of this episode is actually pretty good shut your fucking mouth yeah right now yeah. shut your mouth what the fuck is wrong with you well we'll go
1: through it, but um You have got you truly have got native. Look, you truly have joined the tribe. You are part of this of the Rubber Tree people sky <laughs> jersey folks that that uplifted humanity. Like you're you're part of the team now.
0: Please please don't talk about the sky spirits like that. that's my field oh, oh <laughs> All right, man. We start this thing off with the triumphant return of someone's backyard in Southern California. We do. It's a beautiful shot. And
1: they're in the Space Juggalo containers. Our shot is that uh, we've got Janeway and Chakotay in these uh, stasis units. We, we get a little little calm beep that wakes them up. They get out and they radio up to the uh, the doctor. Uh, and then they note that they've been in stasis and that uh, they would have only been woken up if the doctor had news. So it's establishing there's some medical shit going on, which is why
0: they're in someone's backyard. I appreciate that right out of the gate, that whatever silly thing that befell the captain and Chakotay, we don't have to get dragged through it. Some bug bit him. It made him sick. Uh, The doctor has not been able to fix it, so they put uh, them into basically cryo sleep so things wouldn't get worse. Now the doctor has thrown in the towel, says that I am not able to undo this. He's been working on it for something like, what, two weeks?
1: Uh, it's been two weeks since they've been in stasis. Our later dialogue suggests that they've been at, they got infected a month ago. So they've been at this planet a month
0: uh, trying to, to figure this shit out. And for whatever reason, whatever illness has befallen them, if they're on the planet, it doesn't actually present symptoms. And it's only when they leave the atmosphere that things start getting bad. And basically, if they leave the planet again, they're pretty much going to die because. Things have progressed to that point.
1: Yeah, whatever they have is bad,
0: and the doctor can't fix it. Can and we start throwing some uh, dick punches here right off the bat? What the fuck was going on this planet's surface that was so important that the 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 captain and the executive officer were both down on the surface at the same time for the same bug to bite both of them and nobody else?
1: Yeah, clearly breaking uh, Starfleet regulations by having them both down there. Now, if they're making crack rock deals, you know, to get the crack rock that the warp core needs, I understand the captain might go down instead of the first officer, but I don't think there's been a single circumstance that we've seen on this show, to my knowledge, where both of them beam down in the same
0: away team. To some, you know, rando plan. Again, on one hand, it's good. We don't have to sit through bug bite attack, you know, mosquitoes getting them. On the other hand, again, what? Why are both of the two most important people on the ship? Who's running the ship while they're both down there?
1: The doctor says, "Hey, the only option I have to suggest to you is that we could contact the DMs. They're obviously good at medical shit, so they might have figured this out."
0: Here's where the, you know, the good stuff starts happening for me. Continuity. I knew
1: you were going to say this, by the way, that like this particular part of the continuity was good. I said to myself, if Peter's going to find anything about that he likes this, it's going to be the tickle of the balls
0: that this Vidian shit gives you. I mean, there's a lot of solid call outs in this episode to previous season one and two events. It becomes a very big part of the episode, the Vidian angle. But th- this kind of situation specifically voyager existing in a delta quadrant having continuity being able to draw on past experiences to solve future dilemmas using you know previously encountered dilemma tech and, and finding a new application to help it you know that's that's a cool stuff and the, the easy go-to is always oh you know you could just any problem the federationist you know starship captain could draw a pentagram on the floor and try and summon q into it or whatever and hey man Please undo the battle where my wife just died or whatever. But uh, yeah, you know, you've got some rough stuff going on with the Vidians, but they're also super advanced in medicine. It's it's a good in-canon suggestion. I'm not going to give this episode credit for
1: essentially doing the bare minimum.
0: All of the Star Trek epi- uh, series, the
1: era Trek, is good at continuity, like- that's that's the bare minimum. The fact that they've bothered to remember that the Vidians are out there and they've had other interactions with them, like, you don't get points for that. You don't get a good job. You just get job. You just get a pat on the back and job. Anyway, the, the suggestion is made and immediately Janeway and, and Chakotay are like, that's a bad fucking idea because the Vidians are assholes and will probably try and take all of our organs. So... Let's let's not do that. And radios up to Tuvok and lets him know you're in you're in charge, my man. We're we're kind of fucked down
0: here, so you're the captain now. I was you know, when she shoots down the Vidian idea, in my you know, I I stop and I say, Well, let's not forget you just blew up one of their like motherships with hundreds of people on it. But of course, you know, Voyager wouldn't call out specifics to that degree, which They actually do end up talking about later in the episode, which is another point I'll give them. But uh, yeah, you know, Janeway, who's always quick to blow the ship up and take the most drastic actions possible, very quickly comes to the conclusion that Chakotay and her are just going to live on the planet forever and that now Tuvok's in charge and that she is going to order him to not do, you know, anything risky to bring them back up onto the ship. And uh, that's that, you know, see you guys later. Uh, thumbs the brakes, and I'm a good scientist. I'll, I'll fix this, and then we'll fly up and catch you.
1: Tuvok, uh, Balana, Tom, Cass, Neelix, and, and Harry, who are, I guess, the remaining bridge crew plus random people who have joined the, the vessel, uh, have a discussion in the briefing room about what to do. And immediately, it is clear that Tuvok has none of the command authority or respect of any of the people in this room. Because everyone's just giving him sass. They're just giving him attitude. They're all just like, oh my god, I can't believe we have to leave her behind. We gotta leave the commander behind. This is bullshit. This is terrible. We're distraught. And Tuvok just does the normal Vulcan thing of not acknowledging the importance of their feelings and making everyone even feel
0: shittier about the situation. Remember during Deathlock, how we talked about that they could have brought like 14 or... 16 people from the uh the good voyager the voyager that was being raided by vidians over to the voyager that had its ass kicked yes and instead they just send over harry and the baby and i'm like you got all these extra spaces like grab the best and the brightest of your ship because it never hurts to have spares and i was like you, everybody on the bridge could have just as easily escorted harry over to the 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 warp point you know to save the baby and get him over like wouldn't it be nice to have two Janeways and two Chicotes and all these other really important smart people? This is a great example of why it doesn't hurt to have a spare <laughs> captain and a spare commander in the closet.
1: Well, I, I guess it's not too much of a surprise that none of these people seem to have any sort of uh, formal military bearing, because when you think about it, is Tuvok and Harry Kim are the only two people left on the senior staff who are actual... Like, regular Starfleet officers. Because everyone else is a Maquis, a convict, a hobo, a space elf.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's it. And I, I, Tom's second in command. For now. He's the XO now. Yeah. Like, so, you know, Tuvok is not, you know, still remains the least interesting fucking character on this show. Because he hasn't fucking learned a single lesson, even though there's multiple episodes where he has been you know have these lessons World shoved out his fucking throat yeah you know from the first season on still doesn't fucking get it because you know the the writing says he can't and it's like well you know it's what we're doing so we're leaving her sh- there's them a bunch of
0: shit in the shuttlecraft hopefully they'll figure it out but we got to move on and we're not contacting the deans a lot of stuff and let's let's nitpick here for a second you know they beam down what looks like half of the stuff on the ship they give yeah. them the most chintzy shelter possible uh, all this science equipment. Apparently, there's a, a Type 9 shuttle that gets put down there, but we never get to see it because, you know, budget. Um, and they give them a replicator with, I thought, you know, pretty big deal there. Because if they're giving them basically a lifetime full of rations, that's got to be a pretty big impact on what the, the ship's got in total.
1: And, you know, considering like the Kazon have been hot to trot for all of their special equipment and now that there's this this huge cache of it just sitting there replicator yeah i didn't even think shuttlecraft get a transporter probably weapons phasers tricorders you know just chilling where they can just pop by see them kill the two of them and take all their shit i mean yeah i guess you'd have to leave them some stuff because they're stuck there but there's not even like a suggestion or a line to be like why the hell the kazon might not just find them you know they don't even mention it and of course, most importantly in the scene, Harry Kim is brooding. He's got his brood face on. He's sitting there. He doesn't leave after everyone else does. He he's contemplating deep things. And we're gonna have a lot of we're gonna have a lot of Harry Kim time on our hands in this
0: episode. And we're all gonna be poorer for it. Yeah. So you know, they start building this descent. Obviously, nobody's really happy. I, I don't think anybody really supports the decision except for Tuvok. You know, there's a couple moments we'll encounter later on where, you know, like uh, B'Elanna is like, hey, I'm not happy about it, but I don't see a better option. And uh, Paris will actually come to back Tuvok to a certain degree. But even those guys, they're not like this is the best course of action. It's just it's the only course of action for now. Tuvok's real... Real stubborn in this one, Tuvok. If this was
1: season one, would make sense. But after everything he's been through, you'd expect the character has grown enough to understand, like how to deal with people's emotions better. Mm-hmm. Like that's like been all of his character development. We don't see any of it. I, I think the the real laws set in when we cut back down to the planet, though, because it's not been barely a day and a half that. Janeway and Chicote have been on this planet, and they their civilian gear is apparently straight out of fucking little house on the prairie. And they are giggling to themselves about all the fucking adventures they're gonna have on this planet. Like they went native instantaneously.
0: Yeah, time is a very funny thing in this episode. Um before we move on, that your little house on the prairie clothing. It it's spot on, and yet at the same time, I would say that this episode, hands down, has the best civilian clothing that we have seen in the entire series so far.
1: Yeah, it's an improvement. It's Little House on the Prairie, yet it's better than like Tom Paris's rockin', you know,
0: leopard print space pajamas. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I think the first outfit they have, Chakotay, in, it almost looks like this little German uh Oktoberfest outfit. Yes, <laughs> I was gonna. Yes, I was gonna say that. It almost looked like Lederhosen, yeah, man. You know, combined with a uh, fucking Renaissance uh, fair gear. Janeway's got a couple pretty solid dresses that she wears throughout the episode. Like, I, I really wanted to shit all over the clothes, but I was like, man, if it's between space prairie or whatever else may have been in stock store for us, uh, I'll, I'll take space prairie. Um, but yeah, that that was one of my biggest things. so Janeway's plan is that this is gonna be a temporary thing. She's you could call it denial or just her dogged, you know, scientist nature. She believes that she's gonna be able to crack the code that the ultra smart hologram doctor who does not eat or sleep and can work twenty-four hours straight, that she is going to, you know, outwit him and solve this thing and that they're going to, you know, pack up the shuttle and, and end up meeting back up with Voyager. Chakotay pretty much gives up, uh, as soon as the ship pulls away. And both of them, like you're saying, they, they, they're in the civilian clothes for an episode or two ago. We're talking about that. You know, these guys spend every minute of every day in the Starfleet jumpsuit. jumpsuits, seeing them, especially Janeway move out of, uh, out of military mode and into this civilian prairie life that quickly was kind of jarring. You also notice that they ditched their comm badges, which seems like a really bad idea. You're alone on this strange planet with God knows who that might be coming around. I think that you'd want to have nothing else, you know, easy access to each other verbally at all times. You know, I know it
1: was probably uh, a, a symbolic thing to show their separation. That is my least of my complaints about them on the planet. Uh, immediately, by the way, uh, Chicote starts one of his many attempts, unsuccessful attempts, that we will see throughout the episode to fight his way out of the friend zone. Because, my friends, this is what half of the episode is going to be about from this point forward. It's the valiant Commander Chicote doing everything in his power to impress Milady Catherine Janeway. And he starts by making her a tub. A outdoor bathing tub. This is his opening move. And uh, after Janeway gives a, a farewell speech and, and and sends the crew on the way, they cut back. It's been uh, 24 days that they've been on the planet, evidently. And Janeway is fully nude in the, her outdoor tub
0: that Chakotay has made for her. Yeah, it's like a hot tub. It looks like it's using phaser rocks to keep uh, the, the water warm. Time is a funny thing in this episode. This is probably the longest episode, like timeline wise, that Definitely. we've seen yet because it's like months and I think it's like six months total when it's all said and done, isn't it? It's
1: a lot of time back
0: and forth and everything, yeah. But there's no. I don't think they really convey the passage of time because everybody just, they could have at least like slapped some five o'clock stubble on Chicote or given him a beard or something. Uh, it's, I wouldn't say the worst part of the episode, but it's certainly uh, one of the bigger flaws is that for using this much of the, the Voyager timeline, you don't really get the real sense of it. And so we're clear, everything on the planet's surface is complete garbage. Um, I'll defend parts of this episode, but the entire Chakotay Janeway love interest thing. Um, oh, it's, why even use that word? I mean, a- my God, my God in heaven. Janeway shows more interest in a fucking monkey than Chakotay. Well, you know, two Vox and into strangling space cats. God only knows what Catherine gets into. In her- Ugh. <laughs> oh. Uh, it, it's all terrible. And I almost don't even want to talk about, um, how stupid and how bad it is. But, um, some some shit goes down pretty quickly on the bridge. Uh, you know, Harry has a couple conversations with some of the other lower deck crewmen. Um, Hogan gets uh, some face time in this episode and there's another crew member, the, the the black chick. But they didn't really name her. And I was excited when I saw her because she was in two or three different scenes. I'm like, good. They're they're establishing some more, you know, non bridge crew members here and. You know, for a while there, we were looking good. We had Carrie, we had Jonas, we had Seska, um, Hogan. And Hogan's really been the only person to stick around.
1: I I, I, th- I remember seeing this. This person as like a, a elevated extra in the background. But I don't know if
0: she ever got a name. I I think that having tertiary characters like how O'Brien started off. You know, there was a pretty big secondary crew cast on Next Gen, and I can't speak to Deep Space Nine, but Voyager seems very hesitant to establish anybody who's not, you know, main cast, and I think it's to the detriment. So, uh, unfortunately, I don't really flesh this lady out. But, uh, yeah, so Harry Kim starts his mutiny talks pretty early, and about two months or something into this voyage away from the planet, uh, they pick up on a Vidian convoy, that is uh, unexpectedly ahead of him. And Harry perks up thinking, oh, cool, you know, Vidians, they might have the medical tech we need. And uh, offers a suggestion to Tuvok, who instead tells Paris to alter course to avoid them completely. And Harry foolishly picks this opportunity to start stomping his feet about how they should ignore, you know, orders and, and get in there and talk to it. This is two episodes in a row because the last one being uh, Tuvix, where you know Tuvix makes his plea to the entire bridge staff of, hey, don't let her drag me off and kill me. But that's that's like two call-out scenes on the bridge episodes in a row. I know you don't want to talk about it, but I cannot escape how absolutely
1: miserably stupid everything on the planet surfaces. You you don't want to talk about it, and I understand why, because it's probably one of the the least – uh, what's the way to put this? You know how like two actors will have chemistry together in like a romantic situation with their characters. You like, can really, like the doctor and Dr. Pell? Yeah. Well, yeah, like we've seen on this show before with, with the EMH and Dr. Pell and that sort of thing. Like you can see it. Whatever the opposite of that is, is what Robert Beltran and, and uh, Kate Mulgrew apparently have because not a single scene of them where they're supposed to have like romantic tension with each other comes off as anything authentic. And maybe that's because Janeway has no interest in him whatsoever. Maybe that is what we're supposed to, to to come off on it, that it's totally one-sided. But when I say, like, Chakotay comes off like a neckbeard, trying too fucking hard, he straight up, like, puts himself in that role later on with the goofy-ass speech he gives and all this other stuff. And, like, they do this whole scene where Janeway comes out of the tub and she's... You know, she's just got a towel on and they meet a monkey. Janeway's <laughs> talking to the monkey. And like, Chakotay's like standing next to Janeway just, just leering at her. Oh my God. I don't, I can't, who, what, what person wrote this? Like, what fucking planet are they from? That they're like,
0: yeah, this is going to come off real good on screen. Maybe this they're from, awesome. maybe from Earth 2, which is what they call this planet. I want to roll back to this monkey. The monkey appears early in the episode. It is, A spider monkey, which I think we are all familiar with because we have all been to the zoo. yes, And we know the name spider monkey because we've all seen Talladega Nights. Yes. There's no prosthetics on the spider monkey. It's just a spider monkey who can stand on his legs and raise his hand up. And he gets like major screen time. And I just don't get it.
1: (laughs) This guy is like a real clutch performer, too. Uh, Later on, on the surface, there's this like plasma storm that comes by. And this monkey literally rolls up the Janeway and is like, yo. Uh, strange, strange lady, you need to go back to your fucking space cube or whatever. Cause, uh, you should look up, you should look up at this shit right now. And Shaneway is like, you know, like, what, what are you trying to do? What, what do you, what is it, boy? Well, like you like, he's fucking Lassie, right?
0: It's a real and Lassie. If- mo-
1: what Chakotay's, Chicote's fallen in the well. Yeah. <laughs> She finally looks up and it's this obvious storm. And then in the most palms slapping to the forehead moment I've ever had watching fucking Star Trek in my life, Captain Catherine Janeway, a Starfleet captain an accomplished scientist, a woman of, of learning and renown turns to a fucking monkey and says the line. What's that? What the actual fuck did I watch? The captain is asking the monkey what the storm is. Bitch, it's a storm. Run for it. Get the fuck out of there. Why yeah, the fuck are you asking a monkey, you dumb, you fucking idiot?
0: It's, oh it's right up there with Harry Kim saying, why would anybody in the Delta Quadrant want to hurt us? Yes. You know what? I
1: expect that in Harry Harry Kim's a fucking, you know, wet behind the ears, new kid. Captain Janeway asking a monkey if the storm is a storm is the peace dollar resistance of the writing of this episode. It's so thin. Everything is so thin. Like, yeah, they do some continuity job, right? They do some continuity, but everything else, like they don't go in depth. Like eventually Voyager is going out there and they encounter a convoy of Adeans. And they go through this whole drama of Harry Kim really wanting to contact the Vedians and Tubox saying, fuck, no,
0: that's a terrible idea. They'll probably kill us. Right. They do. And he 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 even does call out um, from Deathlox like we just blew up one of their major ships and killed like 300 people.
1: Yeah. And you know, Harry's like, hey, Dr. Pell was someone we helped out. You know, she and the doctor were close. She would help us. And they really want Bolana's DNA so we can barter. They bring all that together. But, you know, when, when that part of the episode has to start picking up, they really don't do anything. Like, they con- they end up deciding to contact the ship because everyone guilts Tuvok into doing it. Well, hold and, on. You're skipping some very important stuff here. I just I, – I understand. Well, we'll get to it. I just want to paint my picture here, Right. They, they go through all of this emotional, like, drama with Tuvok. It's where they spend all the time. We'll discuss it here in a second. They don't actually talk about or discuss, like, a plan of action that's smart or unique or clever, despite admitting that they might be walking into a trap. At no point does the episode go in any kind of depth where they're like, "Okay, team, let's huddle up and let's try and figure out a way through the bullshit. We're no doubt going to have to deal with these with these Nazi organ stealing assholes. Right. None of that is in this episode. It's just point A to point B to point C. All right. Then we're done.
0: About as deep as they get into that is as soon as uh, Tuvok does eventually, you know, acquiesce to the the Vidiam plan. You know, he starts running nonstop battle drills to get the crew ready for what, you know, is obviously going to be a fucking trap. Um, yeah, so after Harry gets shut down and uh, ordered off the bridge at the threat of losing his command post for good, he goes down into the mess hall and starts talking mutiny with uh, Hogan, who <laughs> I would think if I was Hogan and I just, you know, my, my BFF Jonas just uh, committed treason on the ship that I would be walking a very straight and narrow path. Things seem to be going well for him. Uh, he's moving up in the crew. He's getting some good screen time. Like maybe, maybe Harry's uh, bad news on this one. You just want to keep your P's and Q's to yourself. Also open discussion of uh, mutiny in the mess hall. Sloppy, but, Hey, that's a Voyager tradition. At this point, it's it's not a Tuesday unless you're subordinating
1: mutiny and open. Apparently, like, and the person that should understand that more than anyone is fucking
0: Tuvok. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jesus Christ, he's done it himself. So Harry gets his balls reinflated by everybody being like, "Hey, Harry, you got a great idea. Let's go appeal to Tuvok's sensibility." And Tuvok is chilling out in his quarters when Harry comes and rings on the doorbell at like 1 a.m. and Tuvok stands up in. As good of civilian clothing as Janeway and Chakotay have, Tuvok is in this Mortal Kombat, Shang Tsung, (laughs) purple, shiny, wizard's robe. Choose your destiny. (laughs) So is mine. This is some ugly-ass Season 1 TNG bullshit. (laughs) If this is what's in people's closets, I understand why they're always in their uniforms, but he's just chilling out, drinking some tea. Harry comes in, pitches his plan again, and and Tuvok takes his dick out, lays it on Harry's head and says, um, this is the way it's going to be. And if the next words out of your mouth aren't, uh, yes, sir, your ass is going in the brig and I'm going to, f- you know, drum you out of Starfleet and you're going to be, I don't know. Too bad they don't have space juggalo mine prison to put them in. And, Speaking of Juggalotech again, yeah, we're talking about how nice it'd be to have uh, uh, the extra Chakotay and Janeway from Deathlock episode. How about this? Uh, they're sick. They could still be productive members of the crew. They could still work towards their own cure. If only we had that stasis field, we could have put our terminally ill people in and have them keep, you know, participating on the ship.
1: <laughs> Juggalotech continues to be the solution to all of our problems. Truly, they weren't ready for the clown.
0: Yeah. Well. So we skip uh, through some of Harry's petulus. Chicote has a couple scenes with uh Janeway down on the surface where he takes this Captain Morgan like <laughs> she's sitting down and he puts his foot on the table and starts leaning balls in towards her face. <laughs> that's a that Riker. Really...
1: That's a Riker move. That's an aggressive yeah, well, sexual
0: maneuver. William Riker, Chicote is
1: not. Yeah, he's like making a headboard for her because he's been creepily watching her in, in, while she sleeps and notices that she likes to sit up in bed and read. And so because he has tried to impress Milady, uh, he is he's making her a
0: headboard. I mean, Jesus Christ. Can we talk about the shelter for a minute on the surface? This yeah, is Federation sure. tech. This is a you know, transparent aluminum. You've got starship hulls that can withstand uh, you know, the rigors of faster than light travel. And they give them this emergency shelter. No, it's not even an emergency. I mean, this is like a permanent shelter. They they had time to set up and plan for this. They give them a shelter made out of fucking tinfoil because when the storm blows through that the monkey has to point out, it fucks up everything in this. So you get a real sweet shot of Janeway and Chakotay cowering under the table as the roof falls down um, around them with like, uh, you know, Chakotay trying to pull the big spoon move as... Uh, Janeway cries because her mosquito nests are getting broken.
1: Yeah, it's it's uh, it's not really uh, up to stuff to deal with. Apparently, a a normal space hazard, which,
0: yes, branches are too much for Federation, you know, minerals and and building materials. Uh, But the storm fucks up enough shit that finally Janeway, who had, you know, two scenes before been like, I'm not giving up. I'm going to work night and day on this thing couple of her traps get busted. Oh, all of our stuff is ruined. Uh, we're going to completely gloss over the fact that we have a replicator, so we have whatever we need pretty much uh, forever, whatever. And uh, she throws in the towel, and now it's time to just resign to life on uh, the little prairie. Somewhere in there, there's a real awkward shoulder massage, I oh, think.
1: Oh, no. Well, I mean, come on, dude. You didn't sense the pure sexual magnetism between the two of them? I was too busy scene. cringing. Sorry. I mean, seriously, this episode is fifty percent just cringing at these two trying to approximate awkward romance, and instead just coming off as awkward. You know, like this budding attraction between the two, and how do they handle it? And they obviously feel it. Like that's what I think they were trying to do, and then instead it just comes off as Janeway like, you know, needing to file a fucking sexual
0: harassment claim <laughs> with HR.
1: <laughs> like that's what's In my up. Notes.
0: In my notes, I actually gave uh, the episode credit. I said, you know what? It's really nice that we didn't have to hear about any Chakotay spirit animal, fake religious bullshit. And wouldn't you know, Like, it, as soon as I put that pen to paper, he busts out his <laughs> Milady story extraordinaire. Oh, my God. I, I mean, of all the
1: cringe moments in this episode, that that made me almost to get up out of sheer discomfort of watching something <laughs> so fucking terrible holy shit i mean i'm sorry but if you haven't seen this episode go watch this clip and subject yourself to understanding what this is about like this is this is chakotay creating a parody of himself live on screen to try and avoid the let's just be friends talk from Janeway. that's what it is and it's sad and pathetic and our, our resident little Indian white knight, fake Indian white knight, you know, he's going to have to continue to to try and storm the gates of my lady later. There's some very serious hand holding. There is. There is some intense interlocked fingers at the end of this. Truly stage one to taking it to bone town.
0: So all this stuff on the surface is garbage. Let me, let me try and tell you a good story here. All right. Um, You know, cut all that shit on the surface out. For whatever reason, Janeway and Chakotay are not on the bridge. You got this shit with uh, Tuvok. He finally gets cornered by everybody, you know, using Kess as the warm up because she's got that mentor thing with him. You know, it's a strong play on the would-be mutineers. And finally, they beat him over the head enough with the, the notion that he is the only person on the entire ship who was sticking, interested in sticking to the guns on, leaving the captain behind. That They finally get him to cave in. He agrees to reach out to the uh, Vidian convoy, and we get a lot of good continuity, right? The Vidians uh, send a message. They get Dr. Pell, who we had from the, um, I don't remember the episode name, but, you know, the doctor's girlfriend. Right, right. She pops in. Her makeup's still on point. It all looks great. They even got the little thing plugged in her head blinking, making lights. And they're like, hey, we're having some problems. And she's like. Oh, is it uh, the third rock from the sun in this uh, solar system? Yeah, there's a burrowing bug. It's a big pain in the ass. We actually worked out a cure for that. Let's meet up. And, you know, we've got a throwback character from uh, earlier in the season. They know it's going to be a trap. vox like, hey, we need to run the ship on uh, high efficiency. Everybody at that point unifies behind this idea that, you know, they're going to go in hot on this thing and, and all the fractioning, that we had seen prior goes away and the ship starts running tip top. They go into this thing, the ships, the Vidian ships that are hanging around, there's like three or four that come in. They're not replying to hails. Their weapons are juiced up. They start firing. We get a pretty good action sequence, I think, um, for some space combat. Yeah. The space combat scene is pretty good. Uh, and finally on the medical terminal, the doctor gets a, a uh, scrambled transmission from Dr. Pell, who is very sorry that they, the Vidians have played her and used her as bait to get the uh, Voyager into a, a big ambush. And she says, uh, I'm sorry, Schmaltz, which is her pet name for the doctor. Uh, I do have the antidote, but, um, you know, you're going to have to find a way to beam it off our ship. And uh, doctor reaches up to the bridge. Tuvok takes everything at face value. You get some good cooperation out of the crew. They drop an antimatter pod. They blow it up. It's like a flashbang. It fucks everybody's ship up or their shields up. They beam the uh, antidote off and then fly out without uh, losing any organs this time around.
1: I, I liked the, uh, the fact that, you know, Dr. Pell was like, hey, I'm really sorry my people are assholes. Um, my bad let me try and sneak this shit on for you. Like she, they didn't like do a, like a heel turn with her. Mm-hmm. Like she just got used by her, you know, Nazi race, which makes sense considering
0: how brutal we've seen them be. It makes sense too, because, you know, as they are staying in full continuity with it, they just lost like a man, you know, a massive ship to Voyager. Like the, <laughs> the vidians are pissed off. Um, and, you know, no blow is too low. I I was
1: gonna say, like, my problem with this whole sequence is that on paper, like if you sketch it out just the way exact way you just described it all, Mm -hmm. yeah, it seems like that would be good. But there's no depth to any of it. Like they, they build it up like this is this moment where Tuvok really like captures command authority from everyone and gets everyone on the same page. But there's been no build-up to that. It's just been a bunch of emotional, you know, everyone's in their feels about the captain. And all of this other stuff, and now suddenly they're all just gonna like do their jobs today. Like, I, I, it felt like they were trying to claim some sort of earned credit on Tuvok's part as the leader that brought them to this point. When really, that none of that is the case. And I, I can't escape talking about this episode without pointing out that all of these people, even Tuvok, is incredibly attached to the idea of saving the captain and saving the commander. And of course, last week, we watched every single one of these people stand by and do absolutely positively fucking nothing while Tuvix got murdered. Hmm. So all of this compassion and all of this desire to sacrifice themselves for their crewmates, and they literally stood by and watched their captain execute one of their crewmates for having the temerity to exist. And I cannot fucking get it out of my head.
0: And also, uh, you know, Tuvok, who wouldn't even exist had it not been for the captain that saved his life being, you know, all too quick to just leave her behind. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of dissidents going on there. But um,
1: if my, I will say this, this episode would have turned on a dime for me if Harry Kim would have leaned in to Tuvok. What do you said? The next words out of, in your mouth better be. Yes, sir. And would have said, yes, sir, Lieutenant Tuvix. Yeah. Just as a reminder, like, you only exist right now because the captain decided you should. Anything, any reference to the fact that the captain murdered somebody for you. You remember that, right? Like, that's how much she thinks of you. She murdered someone for you. Like, some recognition of it. But no, they—they they not can't, they can't do that because it would break... The whole fucking, you know, ethos of of the show, which is why
0: they can't even acknowledge it fucking happened. So they get this uh, antidote and they zip off. My big regret is that they leave Pell behind. And again, I know they're not going to pick up additional crew members yet and certainly not a Vidian. But uh, think about where that's going to leave her. Certainly the Vidians are going to have to see that uh, transport took point or took uh, happened during this combat and that, you know, there was some communication coming off. And that, uh, you know, ultimately, Pell just betrayed him like she's going to die.
1: Yeah, you would have to assume that she'll be punished severely, if not killed for. I mean, these guys all fucking mess. So, I mean, this is the last we see of Dr. Pell. So it forever remains an unknown quantity.
0: Uh, But But there's not uh, even like a goodbye or a thank you, like a, a little heart touching scene between her and the doctor. It's just, yeah, okay, I'll beam this off. And that's that. I that's the part of this episode that hurts the most um, because she was such a big deal. And and I really wish that they would have given her a better send off. Maybe even like, you know, try to beam her over and like something fuck up and they shoot her as she's beaming and she dies on Voyager. But like they're going to kill her. Also, she didn't even want to go back. Uh, The doctor sells her on living because, you know, she's a doctor and she has to help her people. Her people suck. Her people are ass. Her people just betrayed her trust and are trying to kill these guys who, you know, wanted to meet up for a legit transference of Klingon genetic material. She should want off that ship at all costs, but they don't do it. And and I think the show suffers heavily for whatever. So they fly back another three months or whatever. To go pick up uh, Janeway and Tuvok or uh, Chakotay, who have now both completely given up on any hopes of ever undoing this thing. Uh, You know, the old combat just start to crackle and uh, Tuvok informs them they're going to be there in 36 hours. Pack up the shit and get ready to leave.
1: So we get a little uh, bumper scene with the monkey. Glad we can say goodbye to... To Monkey Man. He's real real uh real clutch at explaining electrical uh storms to the accomplished 24th century uh space lady. Uh they beam back onto the ship, they take command of the vessel like nothing has changed, everyone's happy to have him back, and the episode wraps. That's it. That's what happens. It's it's fucking terrible. And you should be ashamed of yourself for defending it
0: because it's got continuity. Dude. It's got continuity. It's got a pretty de- decent space combat scene. Uh, based on what I have read on Memory Alpha, this is the last time we see the Vidians, period. It's not just Dr. Pell, which is another travesty because at this point you've finally realized the Vidians into like the major villains that they have. You've got Death Clock and then this. You've got... Excellent villains at your disposal, and for them to completely walk away from all that work at this point now is a real feather in the writing room's incompetence cap. Um, but <laughs> And I think, what a headdress
1: that truly is.
0: Yeah, I was ready for this entire episode to be complete garbage the whole way through, but I think the stuff that was on Voyager um, did a little bit to soften the blow of just how miserable all the surface action was. Can I, can I posit to you
1: a theory that I have? Sure. You know, like I was wondering to myself while well, I watched this just as I said on this podcast, what, what who writes this? Like who gets paid a professional wage to write this and how does no Fucking one stop Fucking Jerry us? Taylor? <laughs> yeah, like how did Jerry Taylor write this and they produce this and everyone just like went along with it. And I have some I have some people that I know that work in the game industry and they talk sometimes about some of the people that work at at the big 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 name places the places that you like aspire to work if uh you're in that that field that industry right mm-hmm. and if you you know were there for a long time or just one of those kinds of people you can get subsumed by that group in a way that uh because everyone wants to like be your friend and know you and you kind of have that nerd fame mm-hmm. right i'm sure that is something that you're familiar with that yeah, you I start star to not trek
0: podcast dude
1: yeah star trek podcast nerd fame right like oh, yeah. clearly we're we're living that life mm-hmm. uh you don't start to see the flaws in your own work because no one is telling you about them echo chambers exactly great like extent. suddenly everything you do is great because everyone wants you to think that that you think that they think it's great and therefore you you never get anything penetrate through your, your echo chamber shields about actual criticism of what's going on. And these guys have had so much success with Star Trek for w- what's basically been 10 years up to this point between three shows and now feature films and the biggest sci-fi uh, pro- prospect going at the time in the mid nineties before uh, Star Trek, you know, got its fucking shit together. And, you know, they don't understand that they're making garbage right now is is my hot take like they just don't get it because no one around them is telling them it's bad
0: well maybe the audience that jerry was writing these for you know the 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 not star trek audience yeah the knitting circles that she was trying to to pitch these to maybe they did really like this but i'm looking at the reception on this sin fantastic uh hit this with two and a half out of four stars star trek monthly three out of five stars The unauthorized book Delta Quadrant gives this installment a rating of one out of 10.
1: (laughs) It's that that it's the only explanation I have for how this gets produced is that nobody was left at this point to tell them no. And it isn't until they throw these stink bombs out there and the ratings to continue to go down and they start to have actual problems that people get brought in and and changes start to get made. And even then it's not enough. And even then, the people they bring in that would really help them, like Ron Moore, don't last because mm-hmm. what they've built is already too impenetrably toxic.
0: They've in- uh, institutionalized to be, it.
1: Yeah, to, to fucking do anything about it. I, think, I mean, Ron Moore lasted one fucking episode, one fucking episode on the show. And he was like, no, fuck it. I can't, I can't deal with this.
0: I'll go make Battlestar Galactica instead. Yeah. And thank God. Well, Joe. Anything else we need to say about this, uh, this turd?
1: Ah, oh, nah, man. Just if, just, a, just one piece of advice to our listeners out there. If you're a lad out there and you're trying to impress a lady, all right, uh, don't make up any stories about warriors and being captured by tribes and say, it's like some sort of legend handed down by your people because that game is weak
0: and it will get you nowhere. <laughs> He would have been better off trying to get his medicine bag back out and get her to put her hand on the uh, vibrating peyote brick again.
1: Perfect. I mean, where was that? Where was that in this?
0: All right, man. Up next, we got season two, episode 26. This is going to be uh, the season finale. Basics, part one. I see uh, Janeway, Chicote, unnamed crew guy and B'Elanna. They're on uh, a Southern California <laughs> uh, desert scape. Uh, The Voyager and its crew are drawn into an elaborate Kazon plot using Seska, her son, and Chakotay's connection to them as the bait.
1: Yeah, we're finally to the long trail of misery and regret that is season two. Uh, I guess not. There's been some bright spots here and there, but we're going to end on an interesting note. Going to be the the first of many uh, cliffhanger season finales. Um, so, but, but I look forward to wrapping up season two with you next week. And so as a programming note, we want to let everybody know what the schedule is going to look like here. Everyone will be listening to this probably around uh, uh, November 1st. And then uh, the week after that is when we'll be firing off our review here, as, as Peter mentioned, of, of basics and wrapping season two on November 8th. And then November, uh, the week that we normally put an episode out, November fifteenth, there will be something we're gonna we're gonna use that week to do our season two rip, season two rest in peace. It's a live stream. We'll probably do it earlier in the week and then repost it as a podcast for that Thursday for those of you who aren't uh, able to join us live. And then we'll we uh, we take a week off uh, between uh, seasons. So we'll we'll take uh, the week of Thanksgiving off. That's You know, strategically, what we wanted to do, just because we obviously got family stuff to do, and I think when we come back, we're actually going to come back with a review of truly, uh, you know, the 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 episode everyone wants. You know, send the start the alarm. It's coming. It's coming. That's right, everybody. It's threshold. We're going to do threshold before we start season three. So and we're going to we're going to do a little some a little special for that. And you guys
0: will hear it when, when we got it done. So, Joe, what if basics is such a nail biter that that I just I can't take the suspense and I have to watch part two before we do threshold? What if the uh, writing is just so good? I can't help myself. Well, <laughs> oh,
1: Peter. Peter, uh, that you will you will suffer the great indignity that you have earned by
0: trying to apologize for resolutions. <laughs> I'm telling. Listen, is- you got to find the silver lining in these fucking things. It's 45 minutes out of my life, and it, I, it can't be all misery, man. The, the sh- ship combat was good. Doctor Pell was in it. The Vidians were being assholes. There were good parts to offset. No, well, to try to offset the worst story I've ever heard out of a Starfleet. <laughs> All right, you you did a really good job of practicing that in the mirror
1: before trying to put that down. Chakotay's
0: speech is like, if you take all the cringy shit Wesley does in the first three seasons of Next Gen and ball it up into one scene, it's still not as bad as that Chakotay speech. Oh, jeez. I just about recoiled back into my couch cushions. It would have been better if he would have, like, finished off the story and then leaned back and, like, hit a vape.
1: (laughs) Seriously, I expected him to
0: tip his fucking fedora. (laughs) holy fucking shit alright man I don't have an appropriate uh... well hold on I think there was one about don't sleep with the boss
1: well there it is there's just life advice I don't know if there's a rule of acquisition for don't sleep with the boss but especially if the boss wants to fuck a monkey instead on that note (laughs) thanks for listening to VG please April voyage to the Delta Quadrant we will see you next week with basics part one peace